key text for our time together this morning comes from the book of Esther. And if you're not familiar with the story, um, we'll get to that. Um, But here's what it says. It says, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace, you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that's what I'm going to echo to you this morning. Who knows whether or not you have not come to to this place for such, such a time as this. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for your goodness. You are a good, good God. Uh, we thank you for your presence in this place this morning, your felt presence. Just, be, just continue to be real to us this morning and, and just uh, uh, this felt presence, Lord. We love to sit in your presence and continue to love us as we hear your word this morning and let it affect change in our hearts as a result of hearing it this morning. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated, thank you. So if you've been following along, so far we've talked about not wasting our health uh, starting in the beginning of this year. That's a fun one, right? Not wasting our time, not wasting our work, and then last week, not wasting our family, particularly the relationships that we have as sons and daughters with our parents. And so what's left not to waste? <laughs> you know, we've got a couple more weeks uh, in this series. So is anybody, uh, you know, thinking ahead? Are some of you, you know, trying to work it out in your mind? You know, what are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Uh, what are the th- few things that we have left? Um, so we find ourselves today, the landscape for today's subject, and a really powerful story is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. And I just want to read a few verses of it, and then we'll tell the rest of the story. But it starts by saying that Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. So a simple descriptor of who's gonna be in this story, Naaman. I got a guy named Naaman who's a commander in a mighty army at the time that this was written. And it says he was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now that's gonna be a game changer for Naaman, because it doesn't matter how valiant you are in battle. If you have leprosy, ultimately it's going to be a degenerating process in your life, short of a miracle, right? And take you away from peeking out at your best. But then the story changes a little bit in verse two. And it says, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, would that my Lord, that's, she's talking about Naaman, were the prophet or were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, if you don't know the story, um, Naaman took her advice and he ultimately went to his king and he said, can you give me a letter to go to Israel and to the king? Because apparently there's a prophet there and there's some sort of an opportunity there and a healing there. And so Naaman goes to Israel and he ends up hearing from the messenger, Elijah, the prophet, who says, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and your leprosy is going to go away. 
So now uh, Naaman, he sort of balked at that originally when he heard that, but then his servants talked him into giving it a shot. And so he goes to the Jordan River and he dips himself in seven times in the river. And it says, when he dies, his skin is restored to the skin of a young man. I mean, he doesn't just get healed of leprosy. He gets a complete rejuvenation spa day skin makeover in the process. Okay. And then Naaman, and he proclaims at the end of the story in verse 15, it says, he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and he came and stood before him and he said, behold, I know. That's a key phrase right there. I know. Maybe other people knew, but now I know what others have already known. I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. In other words, I've now come to realize that the God of this nation, Israel, is the one true God. So a few things happen. On your notes, if you're taking them on the backside of your bulletins, he got a benefit in his life and God got the glory. At Destiny Foursquare Church, that's at the heartbeat of who we are. God wants to work for your good and for his glory. Always, there's two outcomes in every situation that God puts you in and puts me in. The first one, it's for his glory. The second one, it's for your good. It's for his glory and it's for your good. So it's not just about God getting glory, but we get a benefit too because he's a good God. That's just who he is. And so Naaman, he gets healed, but God then, he gets the glory. And so all of it happens, but not necessarily because of the power of God and the prophet Elijah. It all happens because of a servant girl who is in the service of Naaman's wife. We don't even know her name. We don't know anything about her except, you know, when these bands of raiders went down into Israel and they took captive some of the people there to bring them back up into Syria. When he brought her back and put her in this position, she still saw that she had an opportunity to influence the outcome of the circumstance and the situations around her. So I just want to start by saying this, you and I have extraordinary influence. You and I and it doesn't matter who you are or where you are, you have the power of influence. A word from you, one word from you, one act from you, one prayer from you can change someone else's direction, can alter their course, can change history. Um, you don't have to be famous to influence. And so see, in our culture, what we've done is we've interchanged influence with fame because there's that word influencers, right? That's, that's a familiar term in our culture. Fame is just recognition though. I, and I don't know if, if you've ever been around any famous people before. I've, I've been around some, some, some people who have legitimate fame and, and they can't go anywhere. And, and you know, you think, no, come on, they're just regular people like the rest of us. Well, okay, but they, they can't literally go anywhere. They can't go to the Conoco at 2 a.m. You know, with a hat and sunglasses on. They can't go anywhere without someone recognizing. So fame is about recognition. It's about you know, uh, being at a place in life for, for whatever reason, it can be good or bad, that you know, people know who you are. That's, that's, that's fame. They recognize you wherever you go, but influence is different than that. Influence doesn't equal everybody knows me, I'm famous and I get recognized everywhere you know, because no one knew the servant girl, right? 
No one knew her. We don't know her name. No one recognized this servant girl. No one was putting her on the list of the top influencers of the day. No one was putting her in that category, but she changed the outcome. You see that this morning? She was the person who saved Naaman's life. So whatever else that Naaman did as a commander in the army, whatever fluence he had for the duration of his life, all hinged on her ability to change the circumstance to begin with. So when you look up influence, the the definition is to affect something. And then when you look up effect, because I'm like, okay, maybe that doesn't help out a whole lot. When you look up effect, the the definition is to change something. Which means you and I, when we're yielding our influence, it means we possess the ability to change things. You and I have the ability to change things with our fluids. You do and I do. Uh, we, we have this extraordinary opportunity. So today I would like to just challenge us to not waste our influence. Um, see, God sees you as a son or a daughter of a king, right? So this is what the whole context of Ephesians, uh, where the heart of our text for this series come from. He sees you as a loved son and a loved, as a loved daughter of the king. So you're filled with the life of God and the power of God through Holy Spirit Therefore, God sees you as a person who is able to influence or affect or change the climate that's around you, right? So when we read in Ephesians chapter five, we're coming back to this text again today because it's really the heart of this series. God is thinking about you when he's writing these words. He's thinking about you. In fact, if you go back to Ephesians 1, you can see literally your name and your story all the way through the book of Ephesians. And so when he gets to chapter 5, I just want to highlight this morning, he's thinking about you when we read this this morning. He's thinking about me. He's thinking about you. And he says, be very careful then how you live. Now, now that in and of itself is something that I've been trying to grab onto every day, right? Be very careful because the days come, the alarm goes off. It's, you know, it's, we're getting to the end already of January, 2022. And, and the, so the alarm goes off. Maybe there's an immediate problem, a challenge, an issue, a timeline. And if we're not careful, then we don't steward well the beginning moment of the day, which puts us in a place to be careful how we live. Not just that we lived, but how did I live today? Not, so this is, if we keep reading, it says, not being like those with no understanding, Paul said, but live honorably with true wisdom for we are living in evil times. Take full advantage of every day. Can you just say that with me? Take full advantage of every, can we all say that together? Take full advantage of every day. Some translations say take every opportunity. Now what's that all about? It's about having influence. It's about having influence. It's about understanding that God most likely has put you in the exact position that you're in to change the outcome of the situation. And I know somebody in here is like, well, I don't like the situation that I'm in right now. I don't see how God could even be in the situation that I'm in right now. I am not even in a place where I want to be right now. I can identify with the servant girl and I was minding my own business and, you know, people come through the door and they take me captive and they take me to Hiram and, you know, all of a sudden I'm a servant of this mistress and I don't even know what's going on. How can I have influence, Sean? 
How can I have influence? Nobody knows me. I'm not that important. I'm not famous. I don't get recognized going places. But do you understand that God has put you where you are for a reason, just like he did that servant girl that nobody knew? It's a setup is what I'm trying to tell you. And so that in the right moment, at the right time, you can make the most of every opportunity that you have. People are looking up to you. People, somebody's looking up to you. Uh, everybody in this building, just do a quick inventory. Who's, who's looking up to you? Somebody maybe has to look up to you because you know, you're the teacher or you're the supervisor or you're the parent or you're the boss uh, or you know, you're the piano teacher. Um, yeah, you, and they have to look up to maybe that chain of command every day. But there are other people who are looking up to you simply because you know, they look to you and they look to you as somebody they wanna be. You're kind of a role model to them. You're their hero. You're the one that they're trying to model life after. And it may not be a lot of people but even one person looking up to you means you have extraordinary influence. Extraordinary opportunity to change an outcome. So a lot of people, I believe, are watching you. People are watching you more than you think. And, and some people are stuck with you. They can't trade you in. You know, they can't get rid of you. You're their brother. You're their sister. Um, you know, you're their mom, you're the dad, uh, you're the son, you're the daughter, you're, you're, you're all in, a, in this situation together and therefore you're woven into an opportunity to bring change and influence in the situation. And then there are the daily interactions. And this is, this is for all of us, the person who serves you your coffee this morning, um, the greeter at the grocery store. Um, you know, there, there's all of these different interactions, right? Um, the... Uh, person who checks you in at the airport, the receptionist at the entrance of your building who greets you every day as you come into your place of work. All of these random interactions that happen in life, but what I want you to see today is none of them are random. They're all setups. And they're all opportunities for you to be the one who changes the outcome of the situation. So don't waste your influence. They're, they're, just like you can waste your health or your time or your work or your family, we can waste our influence. And so just a little quick rundown, and there could be hundreds of candidates that we go look at this morning from the stories of scripture, but think of Pilate. Pilate, with his power and with his authority, uh, could, could release a known criminal named Barabbas, right? Or he could release a man who just healed the blind and walked on water named Jesus. But he was maybe afraid of the people, maybe afraid of the moment, kind of got caught up in the moment. And so he released Barabbas and sent Jesus to his death. That's called wasting your influence. Now you're like, well, that was a part of the story of God and he needed to do that so that Jesus could be crucified for the sins of the world. Well, I, here, this is just me talking this morning. So you know, take, take it with a grain of salt if you want, but no, he didn't need to do that. He could have done the right thing and God would have still fulfilled his purpose and his plan to give his son for the sins of the world. Pilate lost his influence and his opportunity right there. There, there was an innkeeper in Bethlehem who looked at Joseph and who said, you know, uh, J Joseph said, my wife is pregnant. She's gonna have a baby. And the innkeeper asks when, and Joseph says, like today. And the innkeeper says, oh no, not in our hotel. She's not, Right? And, and he lost his influence in that moment. You're like, well, yeah, but then we wouldn't have the nativity scenes. You know, it wouldn't be as cool. Nobody 
wants a little motel room, you know, sitting on their, on their kitchen table. So, um, you know, the, the story, you know, could have been read though. And, and, and they go to Bethlehem and then there's Daryl. Daryl, the innkeeper said, you know, you know what? All the rooms are full, but you can have our room. He could, he could have said that. And then the Christmas story would have been the shepherds and the sheep, the wise men and Daryl. He would be in every story, but the innkeeper, he lost his influence. Judas was in the inner circle. He was at the last supper, but he sold out Jesus for cash. He lost his influence. There is a lesser known guy that I've been tracking with named Demas. He was, he was in the for, uh, boilerplate footnotes of the epistles of Paul. And you find him in Colossians where it says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings, right? So Paul, who's changing history, he's changing the, the history. Uh, uh, he's got his helpers right beside him. He's birthing the church, the Christian faith, and uh, uh, is, is just kind of being the movement of the church of God is being birthed through his missionary efforts. One of whom uh, is part of that is Demas. And so in Philemon, again, it says, Epaphras, my, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So we've got a guy that can be written into the story as a cohort of the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, changing the known world in the landscape of faith. But then 2 Timothy comes around, and at the end of Paul's life, this is what he writes about Demas. He says, for Demas, the one who is my dear friend, the, the one who is my fellow worker, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was party town. And Demas lost the opportunity and the influence that God gave him by putting him right next to a world changer. And he cashed that all in for a party because he wanted earthly pleasure. He wanted the, the pleasures of this life. So he wasted his influence and it was lost in that moment. But then there are other people who are in the story who do it the other way around. There's another girl in the Old Testament that you have heard of. Uh, we don't know the name of the servant girl who is responsible for the, for the change in Naaman's life, but we do know who Esther is. Um, and there's an entire book of scripture um, dedicated to her. So who was Esther? Esther, uh, just quickly, in, 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 in the same way, she was in a foreign land, uh, not by her own choosing. So she's under the rule of Persian kings. She's not in her homeland uh, because uh, people have been taken away from Jerusalem and they've been taken into bondage. Um, she's an orphan girl. So she's got a couple of strikes against her already, um, but she's got this guy named Mordecai, who's her cousin, who adopts her and, and looks after her and cares for her. So put Mordecai in the column of people who didn't waste their influence, right? Now, now remember, just a side note, none of these people knew that they were gonna be in the Bible, right? None of these people knew that there were gonna be stories told about them. Um, none of them knew that they were gonna be preaching about them this morning at Destiny Foursquare Church. None of them knew that there'd be movies made about them and books written about them. They were just trying not to waste their influence by making the most of every opportunity. And it's history and eternity that really tells this story, right? So we may get credit while we're on the planet earth, you may see some glimmers of it in life, but it's time and eternity they're gonna tell the story of the influence that you had on the people around you. And so Esther, as many of you know, she became queen. 
um, at this time to Xerxes, and, and a plot was uncorked to kill all the Jews that were under his reign. And so Mordecai saw this plot, and he understood it, and he besieged Esther, uh, who now had gained the favor of the king, and who was herself a Jew to step up and alter the course of the situation. Now, she was gonna put her life at risk. She was gonna put her reputation at risk, her position at risk without even fully knowing the outcome. But Esther was one shrewd woman and she came up with this amazing plot. And if, you've, if you just like stories where bad guys get it in the end, read Esther tonight uh, before you go to bed. It's a really great story of how history was changed. But it, but it has in it that one timeline phrase that all of us have heard time and time again uh, through history. In chapter four, verse 14, Mordecai says to Esther, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I wonder where our 414 moments are in the day. Maybe we need to make that part of our vocabulary. Where's my 414 moment today, God? Where is it that your eyes could be opened and my eyes could be opened and I could go, oh, I get it. I've been put in, you know, X, Y, Z position for such a time as this. I've got 30 seconds with the lady that's giving me my movie tickets right now. But I can tell right now by what God is even stirring in my heart in those 30 seconds, I've been put in her line, in her lane, on this shift, in this moment, and on this day for this word that I'm about to share with her, for this smile, for this encouragement, for this sense of hope that I can just breathe into her story. God put me in this world, and it may be a history-changing moment like Esther had, which saved the Jewish people, or it may be just one person taking your ticket at the movie theater, you know, this destiny-altering moment that changes the course of their life. In this series, we've been talking about recalibrating, right? Just one degree of recalibration makes a, long, a lot of difference in the long run. Calibrations aren't giant, but they give giant results over time. And so if there's been an accident, say, on one of our South Dakota highways, you know, one of our roads, they basically what they'll try to do is get the major part of the car off the side of the road, right? And then all the traffic can resume. Let's get it out of the way and let's keep things going. But in NASCAR, if there's been an accident, they get all the cars off the track and then these massive blowers come along and they start at the top of the track. And, and these guys are intense in their power. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's like the blowers at the end of the, the drive-through car wash, but even more. And so they're going down the track and they're blowing off any debris. And they, then, they, then they come back around and they go down just a little bit lower and a little bit lower and a little bit lower, lower lap. And then they're driving like a, a half a mile an hour. <laughs> and you're thinking, come on, man, can't we just resume the race? Let's get this thing going. And the answer is no. Because even a little tiny, tiny washer on the track can alter your course if you're going 200 miles an hour on the track. And so every little bit matters. Every calibration matters because every little bit can alter your course. So here's the big idea for today. Don't waste your influence by seeing your current station 
as God's assignment. Now, let's just leave it there for a minute. This, this is the main idea. I want us to stop there for just a minute. You don't waste your influence by seeing your current station as God's assignment for bringing freedom to others. Think about it for a second. What did the servant girl do? What did the servant girl? She brought freedom from leprosy to her master. What did, what did Esther do? She brought freedom to the Jewish people by standing in the gap for them and intervening with the king. And what is it that God ultimately wants you to do? What does he want you to do? It's not just to brighten somebody's day. It's to bring freedom to the people around you. This is even the nature of what we're doing today. The nature of the church is, is, is of uh, influential nature. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. That's big influence. That's big effect. That's big change. You are the salt of the world. You are the light. So listen, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying it one more time. And it, it doesn't matter which side of the political debate that you're on right now. It's true of both sides. Washington, D.C. is not the hope of America. It's not. Yes, politics matter. But what I'm saying is as far as America's hope goes, it doesn't matter. And if you think so, you've not been paying attention for the last 250 years. The hope of America is the goodwill of people, most notably Christian people moved by generosity because of the story of the cross and who do things that nobody else wants to do, finding a way to pay for them even if the government won't, <laughs> right? That's what will touch and change communities and cities and nations by the power of the love of God in Jesus. That is who we are. You and I are the light of the world and this city and the preserving agent of our culture. And if we lose our saltiness, the culture is sunk. If we lose our saltiness, the culture is sunk. If we stop shining our light and the preserving uh, agent, then the world is in darkness. That's because we have been given influence by God. We have been given influence by him. So don't waste our influence when we see our station, where you're at right now in life as God's assignment with the outcome of freeing other people. And so how do we do that? Here's a few things. You've seen this woven into every one of the messages in this series, and it will be woven, I'm sure, into all of them by the, by the time the series is done. Number one, recognize that God is sovereign over your circumstances. <laughs> In other words, you're not a pinball in the arcade game called life um, where the flippers are just kind of bouncing around and you have no say or no control over the situation. You're a person ordained by God to be in the moment that you're in. And so the thing is that you have 100% control over is how you use your influence in that situation. And so see the servant girl, listen, think about this. The servant girl didn't say, well, I was captured by a band of raiders, uh, so of course, you know, God's not gonna use me now. <laughs> God says, no, guess what? You were captured by me first, and I was just using that band of raiders because I wanted Naaman to have his eyes open so that a commander in Haram could understand that the God of Israel is the one true God. <laughs> 
The sovereignty of God is brooding over the circumstances in your life. In the story of Joseph, which we touched on last week, again, this might be the most powerful understanding of the principle that we're ever going to see probably in human life. A, a, A guy abandoned by his family who lost the best years of his life to being a slave and a servant when, you know, he was a teenager, forgotten in jail, but eventually raised up to be second in command of the most powerful nation in the world at that time. He interprets a dream, uh, which was, was given this rule and authority, seven years of, of good crops and then seven years of famine, right? So let's set up the seven uh, good years to survive in the, the, the bad seven years that are going to come. And, and so at the end of the day, that's exactly what happened. So that even his own brothers and his family, they come to him. And now they're desperate for food in this time of famine. And what does Joseph say to them? He says, in effect, my suffering in all of this journey was for your salvation. It was for your freedom. He said, God put me in here in advance to save people. He understood that just because the circumstances weren't to his choosing, his influence hadn't been diminished by the kingdom story of God. And he said, what what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good, for the saving of many people. What does all of this mean? It's all about bringing freedom to others. And he understood that. That's where his mind was. Interestingly, and you don't need to turn to it, but in, but in Esther, where it says God may have put you in this situation for such a time as this, it says just right above that, something that's really, really, really important. Verse 13, Mordecai says to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance, check this out, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. <laughs> So Joseph, go back to Joseph's stories. He's written into the story by using his influence and understanding that God's sovereign over the circumstance. But if Joseph doesn't use his influence in that way, guess what? Somebody else is gonna step in the story and use their influence to fulfill God's purpose and the plans of God. So if Esther doesn't see, you know, for such a time as this, the scripture says, and Mordecai even tells her, God will find another way. So we don't have to have this big pressure of, man, I hope I get it right so that God's plans will go forward. God's plans are going to go forward no matter what. He's a big God. But you can be written into those plans and into that story by not wasting your influence. Don't miss that opportunity by seeing that God is sovereign over your situation and grab that opportunity when you have it. Remember this phrase. Maybe this is a setup. (laughs) Remember that. Maybe this is a setup. I don't know why the car broke down today. I don't know why, you know, I'm sitting in the auto shop today. I don't know why we're in the emergency room right now. I don't know why we're in the hospital. I don't know why the business deal that, you know, I've been praying about went sideways. I don't know why I have to take this flight to Denver tomorrow. If I had a choice, I wouldn't be here. But maybe it's all a setup. Maybe it's a setup and it requires us taking our eyes off of ourselves and joining in with this great sovereign plan of almighty God. That's how we don't waste our influence, by making the most of every opportunity. 
The second thing that will help us not waste our influence is to be intentional with influence that you have right now. Right now, in January 30th, 2022, in, in, uh, right now. I love, story, I love telling the story of passion. Um, I've been following, you know, Louis Giglio and the passion movement for a lot of years. That's, uh, you know, in 2013 at the Georgia Dome, uh, they had about, again, 60,000 college-aged young people there. This was the movement that John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life talk helped birth in the year 2000. And, and they knew they had a moment um, when this, this was coming. And, and when you have a moment, can I just put it this way? You have a stewardship of that moment. You have a stewardship of it. And when you have a stewardship, you have influence. You have an opportunity for influence. And when you have influence, you don't want to waste it. And so you back up all the way to, be, to before the moment. And you say, what do we want to do with our influence and with our stewardship? This is how you don't waste a moment and say, you know, what do we want to do with our influence and with our steward? This is how you don't waste your days. And so you're driving to work thinking about the influence that you're going to have that day. You're driving to school in the classroom or to the hangout, uh, wherever you're going with your neighbors, to, to whatever it is that you're doing, thinking, I'm going to have an opportunity in stewardship today. How do I use that? And so in preparation for the Passion event back in uh, 2013, this idea kind of surfaced in their hearts. What if we just put all of our eggs in the basket of a red X. How many of you have ever seen that red X on a hand? Um, they, they were to put all of our eggs in. So does anybody know here what the red X, we'll put up the picture in just a second, uh, the red X on your hand signifies? Anybody ever seen that? So um, this is something that was birthed in the Georgia Dome, 2013. It's been all over social media since that year several times over. And they said, what if we just put all of our hope in a red X and we say, we want to end it. And there was a discussion and conversation, good idea, bad idea, medium idea. You know, some of my other ideas got back on the table. And finally, the red X was an idea. And they walked out of that meeting and they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to launch a campaign of awareness around human trafficking. And our calling card is going to be a red X that we hope will become a part of the fabric of the culture of America. And we've got 60,000 students that are in a, in a football stadium, and that's enough to uh, influence to birth that baby. And so it's, this wasn't something that was for the benefit of passion. Um, nothing came back to the passion organization. They didn't get any benefit. They didn't get any, you know, trademark royalties for this. They, they were trying to, to, to be about bringing freedom to other people. And so they're not going to waste their influence. How? By, by seeing their situation in life as God's assignment to bring freedom to other people. And so on the last night of the event, there were 60,000 candles that were lit. I don't know if you can see that this just <laughs> 60,000 candles. And you can see this light that they kind of shot a beam up out from the center of the Georgia Dome that could be seen everywhere in Atlanta that night. That's when the Red X was launched. And today, even if you haven't seen it, um, th this is a movement that has gone uh, all the way up until just three years ago, they were having the, the Red X Day uh, as a day of awareness for ending sex trafficking. I'm happy to tell you that the Red X has made 4,480,000 impressions since that moment on people all over the world. 4,480,000,000, the least of which is 
Bob Corker, and he, he was one of the last things that former President Obama did was to sign the End Slavery Initiative put forth by uh, this rep, uh, uh, Republican Senator Bob Corker with a red X on his hand in this picture celebrating on that day. Uh, because awareness is powerful and it's called influence and it's called stewardship and you have it in somebody's life. So don't wait if you're a social media type for you to have a thousand followers to think you have influence. You know, that's, that's, that's where the word influence is in our culture today. If, if you're an influencer, that's the big thing, you know, for, for uh, young people right now. I want to be an influencer. Don't wait for a thousand followers. Instead, ask the question, how do I want to influence, you know, maybe the 212 people who are already following me now? It's mostly pictures of my cat. Well, great. I take a lot of pictures of my dog. I get it. So social media... Is, is a great opportunity to show people that you're real, right? You're, you're normal, you're in the flow of life, but you've gotta also be thinking, okay, I have this channel, I have this platform. How do you want to use it to influence the people that are following me with it? And we say, well, I don't have influence, Sean. I thought we already had this discussion. I don't have influence. I've only got 38 followers on Twitter. You know, and you know, I think the two or three of them passed away, so I'm down to 35 now. I don't really have a lot of influence. Now, what do you want to do with the stewardship of the 35 people who are currently following you? That is how you don't waste your influence, by being intentional with the influence that you have. Third thing, seek greater influence. This isn't about us. It's not about you raising up your platform. It's about God getting the glory, right? We get some benefit, yeah, but it's about God getting the glory. So move up on your prayer list, this prayer. Some of you will remember, maybe back a decade ago, the prayer of Jabez, right? God, increase my, the space where my tent pegs are, right? God, increase my influence with the time I have on this planet Earth. Yeah, pray for your family. Pray for the success of your business. Pray for your children and the outcomes of their lives. But also ask God to give you greater influence. Stretch out my tent pegs, oh God. And you say, well, how would God do that? Well, he's gonna do it by your being faithful with the influence that you already have, right? Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, so I will put you over much. In other words, if you and I will be faithful with the influence that we have, then exponentially, we're gonna see our influence grow. Just hypothetical. Let's talk about the, you know, the lady at the reception desk. Maybe you're gonna see her you know, two or three times this week, or maybe you know, you're there every day. Maybe it's a short-term thing, and you smile, and she seems to smile back. Um, uh, she doesn't give you an angry or dirty look, and if she does, just take that as your opportunity. I'm gonna pray for her. And that's, that's a way to influence too, right? But if she smiles back, and if she looks like, well, you know, you're the first person that's even noticed me this morning, take a little moment, take an opportunity. Don't waste the opportunity to offer some encouragement to her. It's gonna affect the way maybe that she encourages her son. And maybe her son's gonna grow up and solve some great human dilemma in the world. And when the stories are told, you're gonna be the person, you're gonna be the servant girl in the story. Sometimes it's just that little calibration, it's just seeing little places to influence that I think inspires God to increase our influence. But it's very unlikely that God is gonna rocket you to great influence if you haven't stewarded well the influence that you already have. 
You don't have to be Einstein. You don't have to be Galileo. You don't have to be president of a country. You could be a servant girl who changes an outcome and changes a history and changes a nation and changes the climate and changes people's lives forever. Being in ministry for so many years uh, now, I've, I've got lots of stories, stories of students from our youth ministry that have you know, grown up and gone on to be pastors um, or, or, or on the mission field, um, stories of students that have gone into the marketplace um, to influence their world and be a salt seasoning and a light wherever they go. And then there are also stories of students that have wasted their lives on lesser things. They're living their lives for themselves and it shows. Um, this Wednesday, um, I had the opportunity to sit down with my friend, um, Alex, and uh, he was in a life-threatening motorcycle accident just over a year ago now, and the doctors told him that he wasn't going to live. And I, I went over to the hospital, many of you were here, and, um, you know, I've heard this story, and I, I prayed and believed with, with them, uh, his family, for God to do what only he can do, and Alex is alive and breathing today. And as we were sitting and chatting, um, you know, we, we talked and shared stories for almost an hour and a half on Wednesday night. And I asked him about his relationship with God. And, and it, you know what he said? I, I just love this. It just kind of it brought tears to my heart. He said, all I know is that God brought me back for a reason. The doctors all said you know, that I wasn't gonna make it, but I did. And all I know is that I'm back now. A lot of the uh, stuff that he was dealing with before, kind of emotional stuff, um, God has healed that. He says, all I know is that God brought me back for a reason. And it brought tears to me. He's got an attitude that says, I don't wanna waste this opportunity that I've been given. God does have a really great reason for you to be here. And he's given you an opportunity for such a time as this. Uh, you've, you've heard me share my life first probably several times and you can take it as your own if you want it, but a thief has come with only one thing in mind, right? He wants to steal and slaughter and destroy, but I have come to give you an everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. I wanna walk in that, that's for you, that's for all of us. I don't wanna waste that opportunity. I also heard an amazing story of a, of a pastor and a faithful friend who we all know um, who was having um, AFib issues last Sunday night and he went to the ER. And when they hooked him up to the machine, his heart stopped for a whole seven seconds. Now, if, if, you, if you just watch right now, let's seven seconds. I want, maybe just feel, put your hand where your heartbeat is so you can feel it. Seven seconds. That's a long time for a heart not to be beating, right? That's kind of scary. His girlfriend was there. It was scary for her. In fact, she went out of the room running to go and get the, the medical authorities. You know what happened right before that moment? Some of you are in his connect group he messaged his connect group and he said, pray. 
I don't know how much, how much details he gave, but he said, pray. I keep telling you, by the way, to get in a connect group, please do, <laughs> if you're not in one. Guess what happened? The testimony this morning, we're talking about Pastor Lyle, is that his heart not only started back beating all by itself, but it started beating on the rhythm that it was supposed to be and it wasn't when he walked in the hospital. <laughs> that wasn't the case when they walked in. He was one of those guys walking to the beat of a different drummer. <laughs> but he stopped and he asked his connect group, his people, his group of believers that he's connected with that know his story and, and know, you know him and cried tears with him and laughed with him and he said, pray. Seven seconds, his heart stopped beating, and when it started again, it was right on beat. Come on, somebody. God has given you an opportunity and a time for an influence. So many of us, you know, we read the story. Uh, Bill got up and shared this morning. I, I love that. A million little miracles that have happened. You know, just in this week, Bill was talking about you know, his wife, Ann, that's, that's on the island, and while she was there... She suffered the stroke. He talked about the three distinct miracles that happened. <laughs> I love the story. Some of you read it. It's in our, it's in our uh, prayer group. It's in our community page. Um, her, da her daughter and her went to the, the cabin. It's a cabin, right? They went there in two separate vehicles. The daughter showed up, walked in the door the moment that Anne was suffering the stroke, was able to call um, emergency personnel who happened to be with an emergency vehicle, not very far away, got there in an instant, took her to a hospital, which happened to be, a have a specialized unit in stroke victims. And God just did miracle after miracle after miracle. And you know, it was the speed that all of this happened that kept the stroke from being so much more serious than it was. So your influence might be you know, as a medical technician, it might be as an ambulance driver, it might be as a daughter who quickly responds to an emergency need, right? It's being faithful with the influence that you have that triggers the economy of God to give you greater influence. And then lastly, how do, how do we not waste our influence? We're gonna get ready to close. By being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So when it says, take the full advantage of every day, he says two verses down, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to waste, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the way to make sure you don't waste your influence is by being under the influence of the right influence, right? It's by every single day saying, Holy Spirit, you influence me so that then I can influence every setup moment that you put in front of me today. But what does that look like? Well, I, I, I just read back from Ephesians 5 where we started the day back to the prayer in Ephesians 3 and I noted a few. Number one, carry a positive belief into every situation that you walk in. That's how you influence people. If you're draggy, if you're ho-hum, if you're always eyes down and if you only see short term and if you walk into every situation nearsighted and you can't see anything bigger then you're not gonna influence people around you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy, joy. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Can we just say that joy is the fruit of the Spirit? Can we say that again? One, two, three, joy. 
is the fruit of the Spirit. So if, if you're not joyful, get under the right influence, right? Because it's not about, oh, am I a happy person? I wake up and I'm just happy, happy. I wanna make everybody happy. No, it's about being under the influence of the Holy Spirit because when you're under the influence of the right influence, one of the influences of that influence is joy in your life. Not to mention you get peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So how will those change the people around you? The second way is use your words to build others up according to their needs. Amen. <laughs> use your words to build others up. We look back a few verses to Ephesians 4, 29 and 31, where it says, never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others and do this by speaking words of grace to help them. Don't look for ways to cut people down. That's how you use your influence. Build people up, affect the outcome of people's lives. The third thing is give the same forgiveness to others that God gave to you, Ephesians 4.32. That's the way that you can influence somebody's destiny by letting go of that grudge. Let go. God let go of the sin that was up against you. You can change somebody's life by freeing them in your grace in a heartbeat. Number four, speak the truth to your neighbor in love. Ephesians 4, 15 and 25. So there's gonna be moments when you're the servant girl and you're gonna be the one standing right in that moment, a setup by Almighty God to speak what is right and to speak what is true. So take that moment. Don't be afraid of the crowd like Pilate. Don't be afraid of the size of the moment, but take that moment and don't lose your opportunity because you didn't see that God put me here to speak the truth because I might be the only one that's willing to do it. How does the spirit lead you? Two more. Look for opportunities to be generous to others. Ephesians 4, 28. That's how you influence, influence people. Generosity isn't about giving uh, at Destiny Foursquare Church. It's about influence. He who is generous to all, Proverbs 9 says, is a friend of all. So if you want more friends and more influence, then be generous, right? And then lastly, pray always everywhere for all people. That's where we started last week. Remember Paul, he was, I'm praying to the God of heaven to whom every family derives its name. Paul was praying for people in your prayer, think about it, might be the game-changing influence that recalibrates history. Your willingness to say, man, I, I don't even know that guy and he obviously doesn't want to talk to me right now, but I'm gonna pray for him. And then the elevator doors close. Or, God, I don't know who's ever prayed for that guy, but I'm praying for him right now in Jesus' name. And then the ambulance drives by and it's out of your sight and the lights and the sirens flashing passes by. These are the things I wanna ask us to think about and to do in this life, in his name. And our whole day becomes a rhythm of praying for people, of asking God for opportunities to open doors and opportunities for influence. Some, someday, sometimes we'll be praying for them and they know it. Probably most of them will be praying for them and they'll never know it. But us believing that prayer changes things, changes our influence. And I don't wanna waste 
the opportunity that I have on planet earth. And that just parks us as we close at the life of Jesus. And the one thing that will never be said about him among many, many things is he did not waste his influence. But he made the one decision that changed everything when he gave his innocent life on a cross for your sin and for your shame. And in that act of love and grace, a way was made for the Father to forgive you and to wash away your sin and birth in you a brand new relationship with God, a daughter of the King, a son of the Almighty God. That one decision Jesus made changed everything. So God, we thank you this morning for the million little opportunities that you've given us every day. God, I pray, I pray that you would open up our spiritual eyes. You would make our ears ready to hear. Lord, your still small voice that whispers in our ear and guides us to opportunities, Lord, to be an influence for you. God, we pray for a platform, not for us to stand on, but we'll get up on it but only to give you glory. So we pray for those opportunities, God, where you'll give us greater influence, God, but not for us. It's for your fame, for your kingdom, for your renown. God, I, I know there's, it's, there's such a, there's such a, there's even a thing where we say, well, it's not, a, it's not about me. I, I, don't, I don't want a bigger platform. Pray for a bigger platform because God will get greater glory. It's not about you. You'll get a benefit, as we talked about, but it's for his glory. So God, give us those moments. Open our eyes to see him. God, we don't wanna miss him. We don't wanna waste our influence every single day. Keep on bringing us back to the place where we're asking God, what doors do you have in front of me today? What opportunities? I do not wanna waste any opportunity that you've given me. I want to take advantage of every moment and every day because it's a gift from you. Thank you, Jesus. So we close today by giving, I just want to offer an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. He <laughs> is the one that uh, didn't waste his life or didn't waste an opportunity because he gave it all up for you. He gave it up for every single one of us in this place this morning. And so I just pray that Holy Spirit's already been stirring in your heart and you know that this is a moment right now for you to say yes to him. Whether it be a rededication or re-surrender this morning or maybe the first time you've said yes to following this Jesus who loves you so much. So there's nothing magical about this moment. This is just an invitation to say, yes, my life is all for you, Jesus. If that's you with nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna give you that opportunity this morning. Would you just raise your hand? Um, I'm not gonna embarrass anybody. I just wanna pray with you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for every opportunity that you've given to me 
God, to be an influence. You've called me to be a disciple, to be a discipler. (laughs) So open up doors and give me opportunities. And I even pray, God, give me a platform to shine bright for your kingdom and for your glory. I give my life to you. All my life is yours. Lead me. In your name we pray. Amen.